if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears the sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it now or ever we are americans this is always right radio on am 1420 the answer is your host bob france oh Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. Nine minutes after nine o'clock, and we are already rocking and or rolling on Always Right Radio, AM 1420. The answer, it's the first morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2023, and it just happens to be a free-for-all Friday! (laughs) Yes, sir, and I'm in a good mood today. We've got a really, really good show lined up for you this morning. We're going to talk to Congressman Jim Jordan on a Friday. That's not common. Normally we talk to him on a Monday. His schedule changed this past Monday, so he is with us today. And since we are off on Monday as a live show, we will have the best of program for you. We get the opportunity to talk to Congressman Jordan today and then next Thursday as well. He and I are going to have a little chat about a couple of uh, very important things, not the least of which is the 5,400 emails-ish that were sent using Joe Biden pseudonyms, according to the laptop from hell. We talked to Mike McCormick, who had the laptop. I believe his uh, substack was called Midnight in the in the Laptop of Good and Evil. Uh, we talked to him in, in some depth about this earlier this week. Today, Jim Jordan is going to talk about it. We're also going to talk about his, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan's pressure on the DOJ on the issue of Jack Smith, the special prosecutor in the Hunter Biden case's impartiality after his attorney visits the White House. We're going to talk about that uh, coming up as well. Over a 100, I'm sorry, not that's in the, the Trump case, beg your pardon. It's David Weiss on, we're going to talk to him about David Weiss on the Hunter Biden case. Apologies. Also, 177,000 border crossings in July. Numbers just came out 
$177,000 mass or 177,000 border crossers massive uptick and even democrats are starting to criticize biden believe that even democrats because it's working sending busload after busload after busload of migrants that had been forced not forced but the, the state of texas had been forced to provide for uh, now Greg Abbott continues to send them to Chicago, Sanctuary City, blue leadership. Los Angeles, Sanctuary City, blue leadership. Philadelphia, Sanctuary City, blue leadership. New York, Sanctuary City, blue leadership. And the blue leaders are all getting sick and tired of it. They're starting to get one tiny taste of what Texas has been dealing with, and Arizona to a slightly lesser degree. And they don't like it, so now they're the ones going to Biden and saying, do something. For crying out loud, it's gotten so bad for Dementia Joe. This is how bad it's gotten. AOC, as in Alexandria Damasio-Cortez. AOC, or as I call her, ADC, her, uh, ADC, she herself is now critical of the Biden administration, saying, quote, immigration is arguably this administration's weakest issue. This is one area where our policy is dictated by politics arguably more so than any other. That's not a big slam, but it's criticism from AOC of Biden. And that lets you know how truly sick and tired the Democrats are of having Biden's horrific failed and the czar, Kamala Harris, horrifically failed border policies. That's how bad they've gotten that even Democrats criticize. And we're talking to Jim Jordan about that among many other things. Then at 10.35 this morning, I'm looking forward to this one. We're going to have for, I am hopeful, it's a little bit in dispute at the moment, not dispute, just not clarified. We'll have him for at least a half an hour, maybe a full hour, with Dr. Robert Malone, the patent holder of the RNA technology, that's the messenger RNA technology, that was used to create the poison darts. By the way, I, uh, yesterday when I talked to Steve Dace, I think he was the first person ever that I've heard to also use the word poison. I think he called them poison pokes. I've been calling them poison darts <clears throat> for some time now. Everybody's got their, their version of whatever the uh, COVID shots are, but he called them poison pokes. I'll take that. Uh, but I like poison darts better. Anyway, the poison darts now are roughly three years old, and the poison darts are starting to come into... Um, or rather the, the information about how successful, safe, effective, et cetera, et cetera, they are starting to come into a little bit more focus. Remember, darts, meaning vaccine jabs, typically need between five to eight to ten years of human trials before they can be deemed safe and effective, uh, before their efficacy can be truly understood, which is why they were not approved by the FDA when Operation Warp Speed produced these things. They were only given emergency authorization because they could not guarantee how these things would uh, treat people in the long run, in the long term. We already have seen a ton of damage in the short term, but what about the long term? Well, now we're three years in-ish, and things are starting to become clear. And as they start to become clear, the dangers, the adverse events, the number of vaccine injuries that have happened because of these uh, RNA shots, um, it's... Even more important that we understand it now because they are already starting Plandemic 2.0. They are planning another pandemic, another COVID pandemic. 
And Dr. Malone is trying to warn everybody about what's coming and trying to warn them to not be taken in by this. He's trying to warn them to not uh, 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 try to mandate jabs, trying to warn people, do not go and get these things, particularly don't let them put put these uh, darts into the arms of your children, and so much more. Dr. Malone, by the way, has been completely attacked, and they've tried to discredit him. I won't say they have discredited him, because that would mean that his um, science and his um, uh, professional view as uh, one of the one of the most outstanding researchers in epidemiology in the world over the course of the last 30-plus years. And I mean that very seriously. He is a an expert in epidemiology and virology, and he is, like I said, the patent holder or co-patent holder of the RNA technology. And uh, Dr. Malone, they have tried to discredit him, saying, we know more than he does. Uh, don't listen to him. He's a purveyor of misinformation. Um, just put your mask on and roll up your sleeve and shut up. Pretty sure Dr. Malone is not going to agree with that or those recommendations. So I'm looking forward to that. We've got a lot of very important information to share with you about that. So that's coming up. I'm looking at the patent. It's, it's hilarious to me. Absolutely hilarious to me. I am looking at the certificate of the patent that was granted to Dr. Robert Malone, inventor and a signer. U.S. Patent Number 5.580.859, Delivery and exo, uh, Exogenesis of, or Exogenus, I'm sorry, it's written in a very small cursive font, my apologies, Exogenus DNA Sequences in a Mammal, issued on the third day of December 1996, Robert W. Malone, inventor and a signer, hereby presented, um, to, uh, to Dr. Robert Malone, it's, um, it's it's clear this man knows more about this technology he and his co uh, inventor of this than anybody working in epidemiology or virology or working for the CDC as a political arm ever could know and they're telling him he doesn't know what he's talking about it's just madness it is uh, so Dr Malone is not being quiet they threw him off of Twitter over a year ago. When he went on Joe Rogan and told some of the uh, stories, not the stories, gave some of the information that the left did not want getting out. And that is including about vaccine injury and about the dangers and about the efficacy and about how this is not necessarily for children and what it's doing to young kids, uh, what it's doing to women and girls in terms of their menstruation, in terms of their fertility, all of these things. They, they shut him down. YouTube pulled those episodes of Joe Rogan uh, the episodes with Dr. Robert Malone and his co-expert uh, in this field, Dr. Peter McCullough, pulled them off of the entire YouTube platform because, well, they couldn't defeat the arguments. And what does the left do when they cannot defeat the arguments, particularly those made of the experts in the field? They have to silence them. You understand that? That's what they do. They booted those things from the platform of YouTube. They booted Dr. Malone from Twitter he was restored when when um, Elon Musk bought Twitter, and that's where he is now, and he is picking right back up where he left off. He is telling the truth. Dr. Robert Malone tweeted this yesterday. Sadly, this is a quote, sadly we passed two milestones on VAERS. Do you remember what VAERS is, friends? That's the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. It is run by the CDC. 
Sadly, we passed two milestones of, on VARES. Over 1 million advisor, uh, adverse events and over 21,000 deaths. 30% of those deaths occurring on day zero, day one, or day two following vaccination. When will federal agencies start being transparent with Americans? Why do they continue to ignore early treatment? Those questions asked by Senator Ron Johnson and tweeted by Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Malone, by the way, um, did take two of the jabs. We'll recount that. So I had, last time I had Dr. Malone on, which was last year, I believe, toward the end of the year, but last time I had Dr. Malone on, we, we asked about his own personal story, and he did indeed take two jabs, and he said it nearly killed him. And there's a reason why he won't go anywhere near a booster, because he said, I don't want to die. He truly believes it will kill him. And uh, that says something when you're talking about the man who stands to profit the most from this, at least in terms of his professional credibility and his legacy. Can you imagine? I mean, think about Jonas Salk. Jonas Salk still is a household name because he was the, uh, he was the uh, uh, inventor of the cure for polio. If the COVID worldwide pandemic could be, could be stopped with a, with a drug created by Dr. Robert Malone, Dr. Robert Malone would go down in history as, 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 as like Jonas Salk. But instead of telling everybody, yes, take my drug, take my uh, research that I did on the RNA technology and use it, and it's safe and it's effective, he could have just gone right along with the, do- with the, uh, with the politicians and the CDC and the non-doctors who have a political stake in this and just underscore it's safe and effective. He could have just gone along with it and been given all of the credit in the world. And instead, as a doctor who believes in his oath, that says, first, do no harm, he realizes that these shots do harm and said, I will go down fighting against them rather than in support of my own technology. That should tell you something. Who has a motive to promote and push Plandemic 2.0? Who has a motive to get people masked up again? Who's, who has a motive to get people rolling up their sleeves again and, and creating new variants? The people who have the motives are politicians looking for power and pharmaceutical companies looking for profit. They have a motive to do this. Dr. Malone has no motive at all. In fact, Dr. Dr. Malone puts his credibility on the line every time he does an interview like the one he's about to do with me today. He puts his credibility on the line. They're going to continue to call him a spreader and a purveyor of misinformation. And... Um, that I think that should really, truly, if you're looking for, all right, this side says this, the other side says this, and if you're looking for a benefit of the doubt on which to fall, which side to fall, how about one side has a massive profit and power motive, the other side has nothing to gain here but puts himself in, uh, in his legacy in jeopardy. Who's truly the one that you should believe? And that's why I'm looking forward to that conversation with Dr. Robert Malone. So Jim Jordan at 935, Dr. Malone at 1035. Other than that, it's a free-for-all Friday, and we'll take your calls at 216-901-0945. Let's do our pledge before we take our first time out. We'll come back. i got a few news stories to share with you. But know that I will take your news stories whenever you want to call. Literally, we mean it when we say free-for-all Friday. Any topic you want to get into is fair game. No censorship of questions 
or uh, or issues that you would like to raise, whatever it is, let's bring it at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. First, go ahead and stand, face your flag, put your hand on your heart, and join us. If you are a believer in taking away people's medical freedom from them in a political, politically motivated um, um, uh, attempt at, at power and profit, let's put it that way. If you believe in that and that people don't have the right to decide how they treat their own bodies with respect to medications, well, then you don't respect the liberty guaranteed us by that flag. Therefore, you are exempted from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. Instead, take a knee next to the socialist quarterback over there, you know, the one who hasn't played in the league in seven years. Yeah, that's him. Um, For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all all right nine twenty four quick time out right back on always right radio am fourteen twenty the answer waking up America from its woke slumber always right radio with Bob France on the answer. Yes, indeed, 935. Good morning to you. Thanks for being here on this free for all Friday. We will have plenty of time for calls at 216-901-0945. Don't forget, Dr. Robert Malone, the patent holder of the RNA technology at 1035, a deep dive into what many are calling, including myself, Plandemic 2.0. What will be different? What can we do to stop what happened to us last time around? Uh, let's welcome now, though, uh, on a Friday, a little bit odd for us, but I like any time I get an opportunity to talk to the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee and the Weaponization Subcommittee and member of the Oversight Committee, Congressional Representative for our 4th District, Jim Jordan. Congressman, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Bob. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, too. So before we dive into some of the nuts and bolts of the investigations that you have been working on for so long, um, uh, Clarence Thomas released his first financial disclosure yesterday for uh, since the nonstop onslaught of attacks that he has faced from the left, accusing him of taking improper gifts and so forth in exchange for I don't know what, because none of these individuals, as I understand it, had any business before the court. But a lot of Republicans are coming to his defense. Uh, You are one of the most vocal on this. What did you want to say about uh, Justice Thomas uh, in in the face of all these attacks? No, he's a good man, and everyone knows that, except the left. They're out to get him because he's a conservative. He he adheres to the Constitution. He interprets the law um, and statutes the way you're supposed to. So um, the left has been out to get him. But but it's even broader than that. The left is out to get the court. Uh, They've wanted to pack the court and everything else. So Justice Thomas disclosed what he needed to disclose. I guess they've now changed the rules, so he amended his report, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't 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 take any any type of benefit from it. Someone who had any any business in front of the the Supreme Court, but that, that doesn't stop the left. They've been out to get him for a long time, and they've attacked his wife too, which is and and Justice Alito. You know, and of course we know what they did to Kavanaugh when 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 uh, when it was his confirmation hearings. Um, so this is how the left operates. But um, he's a good man. Do you think anything will come of this? Um, I, I talked to Mark Paoletta, who was one of the most instrumental people in yeah. helping him get confirmed yeah. uh, in 1991, and I had talked to him a couple of days ago, and he said he is so locked into what he is doing and believes so much, he will never let them try to push him out, And uh, you yeah. know, which is, of course, their goal, that he is steadfast. <laughs> in his, so do, do, do you think, and, and you know, you're right, they're attacking not just Clarence Thomas, but he's, of course, their number one target, but it is the entire court yeah. because of what happened with Roe and so forth. Yeah, no. 
Uh, and, and Taylor is a great guy. We've had him testify in front of the committee before. Uh, does an outstanding job. Um, a good man as well. But yeah, the, it, what they'll do is if they get power, if they get this, the House and the Senate and the White House, if they have all three, they will actually look to pack the court. Because, you know, right now the, the court's conservative. The court is adhering to the Constitution, uh, not the not the left-wing ideology that uh, that the left has. So, um, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll go after the court. Remember, Jerry Nadler introduced the bill that at last Congress, as chairman of the Judiciary Committee, introduced the bill to pack the court and to add not one, not two, not three, four justices, and they want to add four justices because that gives them a majority. It's a, it's a total power play uh, because they can't they, – they didn't win elections and, and put uh, and have people be nominated um, the way you're supposed to do it, so they want to pack it with a, with a simple uh, you know, basic power play of adding four justices. So that's what they'll do if they get, if they get power. Yeah, that, no question about it. It's uh, it's a dangerous thing to think about. Congressman, um, I want to talk about the Center for Countering Digital Hate. You sent a letter to this organization. They are now yeah. uh, kind of kind of on the radar as 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 being uh, you know one of the centerpieces of the attempt by the by the leftist uh, leftists in power in the government. Uh, partnering with um, uh, with digital platforms to silence people, to censor people, to deplatform mm-hmm. people. What can you tell us about this organization? Well, this is the organization that the Biden administration was relying on. They would get information, oh, we think this group, and it was always conservative groups. It was Town Hall, it was Breitbart, it was all these conservative outlets that they were saying they are promoting digital hate. Bull roar, it wasn't accurate, and, and it, but the Biden administration would use that as the basis to then go to uh, to the, the big tech platforms and say, censor this material, take down this material. And here's the kicker. This organization is run by foreigners. It's not run by Americans. So, you know, the whole idea is, oh, we want to counter misinformation, disinformation from foreign sources. You were taking information from a foreign source, using that as the basis to censor right-wing conservative uh, Republican uh, uh, main you know, speech. I mean, it, it, it was that bad and these people haven't given us squat so we we there's this process we and i've talked about this you write the letters then you go to the then you write more letter and then you go to subpoena but you have to sort of establish that process if 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 you're ever going to you know potentially wind up in court you've laid the groundwork so we're starting that process because we want to get the information we want to find out just how extensive this we know it was bad we want to find out just how bad it was I like to, you know, try to get to the end game of these things. I mean, to see it down, down, down the line. See, see that light at the end yeah. of the tunnel. So you start out with the letter writing process and everything you just said, and eventually it goes from A to B to C to D. What, what's at D? What, what's at the end of this when you say in court? Are we talking about well, accountability in terms of criminality, criminal repercussions? What exactly would our end game be? We want to, we want to stop, and we're already getting that. Because we've talked about the decision in the Western District of, of Louisiana, that the federal court there, that then went to uh, that, that that they appealed, the Biden administration appealed to the uh, the district court, and at the district court level, we filed an amicus. They brought our amicus brief up seven minutes into the into the uh, debate, seven minutes into the hearing. Uh, so uh, th- that quickly, our our amicus brief came up in the argument, and we know that that first decision was so strong saying, yes, they were censoring, they were coercing, they were pressuring these social media companies so much that it was, in, in effect, censorship. And it went agency by agency in the Biden administration. So in the end, the goal is to stop it. And I think we are well on our way based on what happened in the Western District of Louisiana, that federal court decision, and then what happened at the, at the, the next level uh, of, the, of the federal court system, uh, and particularly the citing of, of the amicus brief that, that 12 of us on the Judiciary Committee had sent to, uh, to the court. 
Yeah, it's so incredibly important, particularly I'm going to tie this into my next guest coming up next hour, which is Dr. Malone. You recall, of course, he yeah. was uh, he was deplatformed by Twitter uh, yep. before Elon Musk yep. took it over, of course, which it was restored. But he was deplatformed for, I don't know, telling the truth about the uh, efficacy and the safety of the uh, the mRNA vaccines. And as the patent holder, the co-patent holder of the technology that created it, one would think that his, uh, his opinion on it would not be considered misinformation, <laughs> but it was. Yeah. And so that's how dangerous yeah. this is. This is, uh, you know, to have these groups, uh, whether it be countering dig- digital hate or or the organizations that are just trying to uh, advance a narrative and an agenda put out by the left, almost always they silence people like Dr. Malone. It's dangerous for the people. No, it sure is. And, and the, the real test is supposed to be the First Amendment and the back yes. and forth and the debate that happens under the First Amendment, not some grand arbiter who just determines that, oh, we will be the, quote, disinformation governance board. We'll decide what's appropriate speech, what's not. That is, particularly when it's government, that's the whole idea of a First Amendment. You don't want government doing that. Um, so th- this is this is how important it is uh, in this, this fight. And as you know, now there's there's some, some, some talk, some reference to going back to some of the crazy stuff that they did uh, on COVID, some of the mandates. Uh, let's let's hope that that doesn't happen. And frankly, if it does, I think you're going to see a strong, strong pushback from the American people. We're talking to uh, Congressman Jim Jordan, House Judiciary Chairman. Uh, let's pivot now to the case against President Trump. You are also seeking information. I don't know how you juggle all of these investigations at once. It's crazy how much you're doing. Uh, but you are looking for more information about Jack Smith and his coordination or perhaps uh, partnering with the White House uh, in an attempt to try to stop, again, the number one rival to Joe Biden's incumbency. Uh, tell us what you are trying to find out with Jack Smith. Jay Brad who works for Jack Smith, was at the White House talking with folks in the counsel's office and folks in the White House. What was going on? What were they talking about? What were you doing? I mean, we, we find something new every day. That just, like, when, when are we talking about, sir, if you, may, if you would? Uh, what, what, this, when? This, was, this, was, this, was, this was shortly after he gets put on the special counsel team, March of this year. So what, okay. what, what, what happened in that meeting? And then, then you have the indictment that takes place in Miami relative to the classified documents issue. So, um, and of course, we've got the other one that took that, that that's happened in in, in D.C. Uh, relative to January 6th, so relative to the election issue. So we want to know what's going on. This is not supposed because they always stand up and say, Here, "Here's the thing." How many times have we heard Karine Jean-Pierre stand at the White House press briefing and say the Justice Department operates independent of the White House? The White House had no knowledge. Well, okay, if that's the case, then what what happened in this meeting? Maybe it was fine. But we'd kind of like to know because you're telling us one thing and it looks like something else may have been happening. And there's been a number of times relative to the Hunter Biden investigation where you told us one thing that turned out not to be accurate. So that's what we're trying to find out. We think, that, again, we think the country, the people, particularly the people in the 4th District of Ohio that I get the privilege of representing would like to know the facts. Yeah, absolutely we would. Let me ask you one more thing about President Trump and one of the other cases. This is the, this is the Georgia one. This one caught my eye yesterday. Testimony this week in federal court by Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger contradicted claims that former President Donald Trump insisted he violate his oath of office by fabricating enough votes to win the state. This is crucial. At least it sounds like it is. The main charge against him is that he wanted to fabricate votes. He wanted uh, Brad Raffensperger to find them, meaning as as if it it meant to create them, when clearly he meant keep recounting until we know for for sure, because... 
I know there's more votes out there. This cannot be accurate. Uh, when you get right. it from the actual person that Trump made the call to that, yes, that's what the president said, I, I, does it not diffuse the entire uh, indictment against him? Well, it sure seems that way. Uh, and you're right. This wasn't about, you know, go create votes out of thin air. This is like, no, we think there was so this is President Trump's thinking. I know this is what he's thinking. He said, he said, we think there was so much fraud. You only got to find 11,000. We barely lost the state. We think there was a lot more fraud. Than that. that was what President Trump thought. So that's, that's what he's conveying to now. I don't know how much fraud there was, if any, but I do know there were all kinds of concerns. You and I have talked about this a number of times, all kinds of concerns in Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, states that changed their law in an, what I believe is an unconstitutional fashion yeah. by going around the state legislature. So that's the key thing. But that's what President Trump was saying. And, and, and as you point out, it seems to be Brad Raffensperger's agreeing with that, which should undercut the sort of the fundamental argument that Fonnie Willis is attempting to make. Yeah, very, very, very well said, Congressman Jordan. Now let's go to a president who I believe actually has been breaking the law, uh, and that would be the current one. 5,400 emails uh, purportedly using pseudonyms for Joe Biden, emails that were not his official email, but with uh, with with uh, um, uh, nicknames and so forth and, and email accounts that did not identify yeah. who he was. What is What is all of this? Can you tell us what this means? Well, we don't know until we get it, and that's why uh, Chairman Comer's uh, trying to get it. I get the information. Uh, there's a there's a process where the Obama administration has to sign off on it. The, President Obama, I guess, it'd be his lawyers have to sign off on it. And they have like a 30 day, I think, time frame to do this. But we want we want to get this information because you know the simple the simple question is how many people use uh, various different you know aliases or pseudonyms when they're communicating with family. Most people don't. Most people's mom, dad, or, you know, just use your name. Uh, so my guess is you probably don't use many pseudonyms when you're talking with your family, when you're emailing with people. Uh, you just use your names. So for some reason, Joe Biden felt he had to do it, and we want to see if it's, if it's distinctly related to um, communications with his son relative to some of these countries where they were doing business. That's, is there a pattern there? So I think that's the kind of information we want to, we want to be able to, to, to look at. But there's a process that the law requires you go through until you can get access to that information. Yeah. Um, and other than the fact that my kids know me as Big Daddy Cool, we generally don't usually use those pseudonyms. <laughs> or things. Well, uh, it's not the Fighting Princes or the Fighting. What was it? Oh, what is, uh, come on! Now don't what, do that to what me. Is, the, they are the Heidelberg Student Princes. <laughs> student you, Princes. Yeah. You're never going to let me forget yeah. that, are you? Yeah. Bobby Student <laughs> Prince. Right. Man, Doug, that's the key. <laughs> Congressman, let's stay on task now. Don't don't steer away from me now. I spoke with uh, former White House stenographer uh, Mike McCormick earlier this week. He has an extraordinary amount of information in, uh, taken directly from uh, the Biden family laptop. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this. He says that on the 10th of August of this year, he phoned the clerk uh, in Judge Noreka's chambers and told him that the Biden laptop emails that he had seen indicated that Alexander Mackler, the chief deputy attorney general in Delaware, may have been present at a Burisma kickback planning session with Joe Hunter and Bo. This is in 2014, before Bo, Bo Biden passed away, of course. Um, he pointed the clerk. Uh, pointed out to the clerk that Mackler was also part of David Weiss's prosecution team at the start of this tax inquiry. She acknowledged the information with a hmm, at which point uh, he said he just wanted the judge to know, and the next day is when Merrick Garland appointed David Weiss to special special counsel status. It doesn't mean one caused the other, but what does that say whoa, whoa, whoa. to you, so this that happened, information? This, phone, this information, this phone call happened on 
August, August 10th, 10th. The day yes. before? The day wow. before the appointment of David Weiss. To, now, and again, I'm going to tell you what Mike McCormick, I'm reading from his substack. We had an in-depth conversation about this on the radio, too. But on his substack, he said, I doubt if my call to Judge Norica's chambers had anything to do with that, but you never know. She was the one judge who stood up to the Biden crime family and their operatives, yeah. and there's no telling what she did, if anything, with my information. But here's well, how the phone call ties into Biden's use of the alias emails that I just asked you about. The reporting okay. on those emails surfaced in July 2021 in a Miranda Devine column in the Post. Uh, went quiet for a while, but then he had his copy of the Biden laptop, which he got from Garrett Ziegler uh, and the Marco Polo Group, and he researched it for the emails related to Joe, Bi- uh, uh, Joe Biden's alias, RobinWare456 at Gmail. And he found an email from Hunter to Dad at the Robin Ware four five six email address that occurred on April eleventh, twenty fourteen. No other reporter had written about it. It it would it was actually deemed on the laptop, Congressman, as undelivered, so nobody thought to analyze it or examine it. Yeah. But he clicked on it, and that's where he found all of the evidence. He says that will indeed indict Joe Biden as not just a participant in the kickback scheme from Burisma, but the mastermind of it, Congressman. Wow. This wasn't Hunter, Uh, you know, trying to cash in on Dad's name, and I'll cut you in, Dad, if you're okay with this, but this literally, according to... So my point to all of this is, I don't want to read the whole thing to you, I'm wondering if Alexander Mackler might be on the list of somebody that Congress might want to interview, your committee might want to have testify, and certainly the same thing with Mike McCormick, the former White House stenographer who has all of this information. Yeah, uh, this is information that I, I want to make sure that that uh, Chairman Comer and his staff have. Now, understand in in the August 11th statement from the Attorney General naming David Weiss as the special counsel, mm-hmm. he says in that statement, David Weiss came to me, uh, talked to me on Tuesday of this week, which would have been August the 8th, because that the statement came out on the 11th, which was a Friday. So Tuesday of that week, August 8th, according to the Attorney General. David Weiss asked to be named special counsel. So that would be before this phone call that took place on the 10th. Um, but it doesn't change all the other facts you just, you just described there. Something de- definitely happened between July 10th when David Weiss writes Senator Graham and says, I have not sought special counsel status, and August 8th when, according to Merrick Garland, David Weiss goes to Merrick Garland in some kind of communication and says, I need special counsel status. What happened in those 29 days? Uh, so it could be they got it. They got they got wind of what you just described. It, it's also obviously the the whistleblowers had testified in a public setting and and had faced cross examination from the Democrats and stood up amazingly well. Did did tremendous. And of course, it's also that the plea deal fell apart. So I'm not sure what was the motivation, but it's probably all of all, some or all of that. Um, that's something we want to find out. And and again, we have Mr. Garland coming in on uh, in three weeks, September 20th in front of the Judiciary Committee, he's going to get a lot of those kind of questions. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I would be very interested to see where this goes when a little more research is done on it. I mean, the, the recap yeah. here from, from McCormick is, is Mackler emailed Hunter Bow and Eric Schwerin a link to a YouTube video of a presentation Ted Kaufman did the day before in Ukraine about the upcoming election before anyone outside of the White House knew that Joe Biden would soon be going to Ukraine to, quote, ensure a free and fair election. Um, 
it, yeah, the yeah, timing yeah. is extraordinary, and it indicates well exactly what Mike told me. And he writes in this uh, in this uh, in the Substack, complete with receipts, screenshots of the email uh, emails from yeah. the Biden laptop. Yeah. I mean, all of this, Congressman Jordan, is so extraordinarily detailed. All of the dots connect here, and I hope uh, I hope that yeah, we will, we'll, that we'll the get the oversight and Judiciary Committee. Yeah, that both you guys will be able to do something about it. Um, last yeah. one for you, sir. Uh, one hundred seventy. I saw it this morning. One hundred seventy-seven thousand crossings in July. Uh, massive spike, um, uh, and, and even Dems now are starting to criticize Biden. Even some of the big blue state mayors, uh, blue blue city mayors, I should say, uh, to which um, uh, Greg Abbott is shipping busload after busload of migrants. They are ha- they've had it. Even Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is now suddenly critical of Biden on the border issue. Um, what what are you doing? What are what are congressional well, Republicans well, doing of, about this? Well, well, part of the concern here too is you know this this idea that there were. People coming across to, that, that were being that were being brought into the country, helped to being brought into the country, who had ties to ISIS. Yeah. So this has been a concern that that our our committee, particularly uh, the the uh, Tom McClintock, who chairs the Immigration Subcommittee of, of of our full committee, has talked about this. He says this is a huge danger. Something bad could happen if when you have a border that's that's wide open, like like Mayorkas and Biden have made our southern border. So I think that is probably. In addition to the huge numbers that we've talked about now for two and a half years, it's this idea that, too, all kinds of terrorists and, and people with ties to terrorist groups are now showing up on the watch list. And we're seeing, oh, this this person's coming. And then this this latest story about this, I think it's Uzbekistan and the ties to ISIS, that um, that I think is causing people to step back and say, wait a minute, we got to change this. This is so wrong what's been going on. Congressman, if you could wave a magic wand uh, and uh, and and and. And, and force the impeachment of one of these three, how would you rank them? Merrick Garland, Alejandro Mayorkas, and Joe Biden? Well, in the end, uh, look, it, we, we've, we've talked about this, and the speaker talked about this. If we got to go to impeachment inquiry, we, we will. I think we're moving closer and closer to that because the facts keep piling up. Oh, but yeah. I do think in the end, it's Joe, I, I do think it's Joe Biden because he's ultimately, uh, you know, the head of the executive branch is the president of the United States. And this is all happening uh, there. And then you, you, you look at What's going on in the Justice Department, the, the two-tiered system, you look at the open border that, that's been intentionally created, it ultimately uh, is the responsibility of the president. And then you couple that with what we know about, what we're learning about the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden business operation. Um, I think in the end, it's, it's, it's President Biden. Very well said. Congressman Jim Jordan, thank you so much for your time. You uh, enjoy your Labor Day, Labor Day weekend, sir, you too. and we'll talk you to you too. next week. Thank you. All right, there's Jim Jordan on AM 1420, The Answer. He's the chairman of the Judiciary and the Weaponization Subcommittee, and he's a busy, busy man uh, doing a lot of work and a lot of investigations and a lot of research in order to try to bring justice back to the Justice Department and, uh, and to the American people as well. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on Earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, nine minutes after 10 o'clock as hour number two gets underway. Good uh, Friday to you. It's a free-for-all Friday. What do you want to talk about? What do you want to ask? What question do you have? What comment do you want to make? What information do you want to share? What joke do you want to tell? 
Uh, we are literally in a free-for-all mode here, particularly for the next 30 minutes. We do have um, Dr. Robert Malone coming up after the bottom of the hour with a conversation that I cannot wait to have. This is uh, its so extraordinarily important, what we are going to talk about, because they are trying to return us to pre- or, excuse me, to COVID-era mandates and rules and violations of our sovereign, you know, right to our sovereign bodies. Uh, they're going to try to push more jabs. They're going to try to push more mask mandates, and we need to fight back against it. The bottom line is, if we don't have health freedom, we don't have freedom. I approach the COVID vaccine like I do other vaccines. I, I offer the patient the opportunity to ask me any questions they want. I share with them that if you look at the history of coronaviruses, we've seen antibodies come from natural immunity that are long-lasting. I want my patients to know that when it comes to a vaccine, whether it be mRNA or any other technology, that it's their choice. It has to be. A vaccine elicits a specific immune response, and that's the same thing we do with chemotherapy. And none of us could imagine the government trying to tell us how to treat our prostate cancer or our breast cancer. We can't allow the government to tell us whether or not to take a vaccine. It's a great analogy, and that was uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, actually. He was also uh, on the Newsmax interview with Dr. Robert Malone, in which they talked about, um, well, all of the efficacy of this. And again, yes, about literal um, health freedom. We have to have health care freedom. We have to have the right to make our own minds up about what we put into our body with respect to medication, whether it be recommended or not by government. It cannot be forced. So these are unlicensed vaccines using experimental technology that has never been deployed at this scale before. The other vaccines that are mandated are well-established technologies. They are licensed. We know their safety and efficacy. In the case of these vaccines, those data are just not available. They're going to require years to determine the long-range effects, the long-term effects, and we don't know that. Mandating these experimental products represents the greatest experiment ever performed on humans in the history of modern science. That is Dr. Robert Malone himself. So, again, we've got a lot to cover in the next, uh, well, after the bottom of this hour and for about an hour with Dr. Malone. Uh, let's go to the phones. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Cleveland first. David, welcome to Always Right Radio. How are you, sir? Uh, good morning, Bob. Good morning. What's on your mind, David? Oh, I uh, I guess I wanted to bring forth some information. I had run across a, an article. Um, in fact, it was a reporter who was interviewing uh, a woman named Emily Drabinsky. I don't know her personally. Mm-hmm. I understand she may be from California area. But she's the president, just elected the president of the American Library Association. Okay. Familiar with her? I am. I did a story. Well, not a story, but I mean, I talked about her just uh, uh, for a little while, for a few minutes, I think back on Monday or Tuesday of this week. But please continue. Well, uh, um, first off, I, this was a quote regarding her uh, um, interview, and it said, but my personal agenda doesn't affect the association. No, not and at all. Now, <laughs> and, and she said, it's the agenda of all of us together. Now, I went on to do further research and try to understand where she's coming from. First, she's the American Library Association. American, right? I had my questions because of some of the statements. Um, Because she went on to say a quote, 
the consequences of decades of unchecked climate change, class war, white supremacy, and imperialism have led us here. Hmm. Another interesting quote, but again, I'm trying to understand. She obviously affects our, our youth more, maybe, than the adults. I don't know how much time they spend in the library seeing what's out there, but our youth would be well given given what given let me interrupt for one second given the controversy of the materials in those libraries uh that we talk about all the time the pornographic content and the sexual Mm. sexualization content and so forth um i promise you they're spending a lot of time there because young kids i mean if, if you had if you were if you were 12 and you found out there was a playboy in the library tell me you wouldn't be checking it out if you find out there's 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 sex images in the books on the library shelves not to mention graphic sexual literature i guarantee you they're going to be young uh, you know, um, for for lack of a better word, um, excited, particularly males who are going to be wanting to check that stuff out and look at it. Moreover, given the agenda by the the, the teachers, teachers unions, and and so forth, they will be pushing kids into the library. They'll be having, hey, we're going down to the library. It's library time. Check out what you want, or sit and just sit and read. We used to have those kinds of things when I was in school and when I taught. Um, so I think they're probably getting a lot of use those books in these libraries, which is what makes them so dangerous. I am very concerned. You are you are accurate. I believe that that is a, a potential negative outcome. Uh, you know, go, go ahead and finish my, your thoughts on Drabinsky. Yeah, I know you've got some okay, other things so to say she, here, and then so I'll follow again, up. She, so she, first off, my concern, of course, is the fact that she's, one, she's going to be using public goods, obviously our library, mm-hmm. donated, in essence, through the taxpayer. Two, she refers to collective power in this article and other some of her writings, again, collective power. And then third, she was saying, wield it, which concerns me that as an association those terms refer to again it refers more to socialism you know collectives wielding power type of thing and I was well, she concerned. she calls herself a marxist she calls herself a marxist lesbian uh that's self-described yeah yeah so a uh, socialism yeah. aspect is is obviously tied there go ahead and and so i guess that was um a concern now not related to that but associated with it I came across a website called the Working Families Party. They've received some money, up to $96,000. They are recruiting and or uh, trying to get people to donate, which people have already donated to this organization. Mm-hmm. It's a website. They refer, now this is not specifically tied to Mr. Drewski, but to the topic of socialism. Mm-hmm. This website refers to democracy reforms to fund police programs mm. and voter registration. And democracy reforms? Hmm. So I, I looked into it a little further. Well, I'll tell you what, David, I've got to interrupt you here only because I've got to get some other callers on, and we're taking a little bit of time. Thanks for the call in for the information. We'll call back. You call back, and we'll talk again another time about some of this stuff. Everything you are describing right now is part of the larger game plan. It is part of what Barack Obama talked about 
Uh, now, uh, what, 2008 is when he was elected, so 15 years ago, when Barack Obama talked about his plan to fundamentally transform America. It doesn't just start with, hey, this is different, that is different. It takes time. It takes the indoctrination uh, and the uh, exploitation of our children to get them to grow up to challenge things like, you know, the glory of opportunistic capitalism to challenge things like liberty and opportunity for all and to replace it with required equity of outcomes for all. All of these things were part of the uh, part of the plan, and we are seeing much of this carried out right now. That website you're talking about that is gaining funding is a part of that. This Drabinsky character in charge of the Library Association is part of that. Uh, it, Marxists and, and socialists at every turn, it's all a part of the same agenda. So uh, I'm, I'm with you. By the I wanted to share this. This is why I said you finish, and then I'll follow up on it. Remember the story I told you yesterday? I played the clip from Indian River uh, County Schools, or the school district of Indian River County, I guess the best way to say it, um, in Florida. And there was a black pastor who was reading a portion, or just a, a very short passage, from one of the pornographic books that were allowed in the schools uh, of that district. And as soon as he said, like, two words, and they weren't even, neither one of them were profane words, but they described a profane act, or a sexual act, if you will, uh, to be more precise without saying it, digital penetration. Okay, is what the word words refer to. As soon as they heard that, they shut him down. They threw him out. They said, we will not allow you to read aloud to adults in a school board meeting that which we are allowing and encouraging our children to read in the libraries and in the schools, right? So the fast forward to this is because they threw him out and denied him the opportunity to continue reading, they had to unanimously remove several dozen books from the school bookshelves because of a law put in place by and signed by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. The rule that DeSantis signed in May, so what, four months ago, said that parents shall have the right to read passages from any material that is subject to an objection in a school board meeting. And under that uh, that House bill that DeSantis signed into law, 1069, if a school board denies parents the right to read passages considered pornographic or harmful to minors in the school board meetings, the school district must discontinue the use of such materials. You understand that? The board had no choice. It's either sit there and let that, that pastor read the porn allowed in the board meeting that the children have access to or shut him down and then, now under law, be forced to remove those books from the Indian River County uh, School District. That happened. That is just absolutely phenomenal. That is what leadership looks like, by the way. And that is exactly how it should be done in every single state in the country. HB 1069 has allowed parents to either read the explicit books to, at board meetings and expose what they, what's going on there, or shut them down and the books get immediately removed. This is a good thing. This is an outstanding thing. Board member Jacqueline Rosario uh, loves it. 
She didn't want. She wasn't one of the ones who, of course, was trying to shut down the uh, you know the pastor for the purposes of trying to keep it cloaked. She wanted either everyone to know what was going on or to have those books removed. Quote: If you can't read them in a board meeting, then you can't have them in our schools. All that is needed now is for a passage to be read, and the book can be removed immediately. The superintendent and board members refuse to acknowledge the gross content made available to our kids until now. Finally, they don't have a choice. Now it's about it's about time that truth be made known. Explicit, sexually graphic, pornographic, and obscene material does not belong in any school. And because of the law that they passed in Florida, pushed and promoted and signed by Ron DeSantis, now porn cannot be allowed in any Florida schools if parents object to it at a school board meeting. They either allow the parents to read and uh, expose it all or shut the parent down and then be forced to remove the book. So all I can say is, yet again, I have Governor Envy. I have Governor Envy, and it's why I think he would make a phenomenal president, too, for full disclosure. Can you dig it? It's a lot of information, but it's really, really important. It's really, really important. Okay, uh, let's move to uh, Charlie, our politically incorrect mechanic in Flakewood. Charlie, good morning. Hey, good morning, Bob. What's um, you got for me today? So I'm going to... I'm just going to come right out here and say this, and I hope I'm not being redundant. Uh, but this issue one in November, yeah, uh, very well, and in my view, that's 100 percent guaranteed. But yeah. uh, very well could be interpreted to legalize pedophilia in the state of Ohio. Explain. Uh, we've already established that the word "individual" in the very first line of this amendment. Uh, will be misconstrued and will be interpreted to include minors. It's just, it's for everybody, right? Individual, that means anybody. So, uh, and then I was thinking about this uh, earlier this week, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, They use the terminology, quote, reproductive decision. Well, what is the number one act that has to be performed when you make a reproductive decision that is most popular thing that have to happen to continue the human race. No, it's not the sexual it's not, intercourse. It's not, it's not number one. It's kind of the only. <laughs> it's the only one, right? Exactly. Right. Reproductive it, it, decisions sex. cannot happen until right. the act of reproduction uh, is carried out in the form of sex, yes. Exactly. So we have an amendment that 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 instigates minors and sex in the same thing and the following line that nobody is allowed to interfere with an individual or entity who aids the individual making the reproductive decision so-called so now are you seriously going to tell me that not every every pedophile and groomer pile of garbage isn't going to be on top of this like steak on rice well, you and be I'm there. being called a fear monger and a and a, a, a hyperbolic for all of this. I don't, I don't think so. I, I think this is 100 percent in the realm of possibility. Well, of course it and is, I haven't heard and that's why. Say otherwise, and that's and you know whose fault that is? Not yours or mine. 
Because I said this, by the way, in in a more a little bit more of an expanded form on the podcast I did with Jack Windsor Tuesday night, our, our as of now unnamed podcast. We're still going to decide on a name anyway. We talked about this. We talked about the intentionally vague and ambiguous language in the amendment that is being proposed, and all of the different things they could do because they did not specify an age. It just says any individual. If they had specified any individual adult or any adult, meaning eighteen and over, we have a different conversation. But since they are now saying that any individual can may and must be allowed to make their own reproductive decisions, we are now saying individuals who are under 18, a.k.a. minors, can make, make reproductive decisions, which would include sex. And all it takes is a pedophile then to, con, to um, convince or scare or intimidate a young person into, quote-unquote, consenting. And this constitutional amendment would say it's now protected because that's a reproductive decision to choose to have sex or not. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's, we've now uncovered three different things. It's not just abortion. It's the abortion. It's the transing of children. And now this, and, and I, I hate to say it, but you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, if you, I, I think this aspect of it, the, the abuse that could be taken against, well, I mean, just the transing part is also abuse, but I, I almost feel like the abortion aspect of this, it really isn't is, is is less of a concern than than the other two things, particularly the one I brought up today. I mean, I, I probably it, wouldn't, in my opinion, Charlie. I probably wouldn't call it less. I would call all of them equally right. dangerous. They all put yeah. children in grave danger. The abortion aspect kills them. The trans aspect destroys their lives and their bodies, and then the pedophilia aspect, of course, destroys their their lives as well. I, think I mean, I don't mean to be getting dangerous. you know. Uh, you know, so excited or, you know, getting the vapors, as the older people would say, over this. But I think everybody needs to be out there beating this point yeah. into the public that it's not just about abortion. It's about also about the transing of kids. And it's about legalizing pedophilia in the state of Ohio, legalizing the grooming of children to abuse them sexually and under the guise of so-called reproductive, reproductive decisions, rights. like the amendment says. Yep, 100%. Uh, Charlie, thank you, my friend. I appreciate the call. It's good to hear from you. It's 1027. We're going to get a time out here. If you're on hold, I'm going to ask you to wait a while because we've got, uh, or just hang up and call back because we've got Dr. Robert Malone on the other side of this news break on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on The Answer. 1035, good morning to you once again. Thanks for being with us. We'll come back to Free For All Friday phone calls in a bit, but now I want to engage in a as deep of a dive as we can because uh, Plandemic 2.0 is, is underway. Masking requirements, new promotion of new RNA shots or altered RNA shots to reflect the threat of the new variant. Um, and the fact that it's coinciding with an election season, I suppose, isn't lost anyone. We have to try to figure out what exactly is going on and why they are continuing to push uh, the same COVID protocols that were so disastrous for Americans and for individuals uh, for the better part of two and a half years. I want to start our interview and our conversation with our next guest with um, a statement that he made about a year ago. If we can hear it. Regarding 
the genetic COVID vaccines, the science is settled. They're not working. That is one of my favorite, most direct lines in the entire COVID vaccine debate. And uh, that was made by Dr. Robert W. Malone. He is the co-patent holder of the RNA technology that was eventually used to create what I like to call the poison darts because of the horrific adverse event and effects that they have on those who have taken it. And Dr. Malone joins us now here on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Malone, good to have you back on our program. How are you, sir? I'm good, and thanks for pulling that old uh, clip out from the, I think this is the uh, Lincoln Memorial Stop the Mandate rally that was such a, a turner. That's exactly what it was from, and I just love the directness with which you uh, approached that entire thing. The sci- You know, and the funny part about that is, Dr. The Washington, just to say, uh, the Washington Post labeled me a liar for saying that. Of course, because they have said the exact opposite, that the science is settled. The entire scientific community says that they are safe and effective. You came out there and said the direct opposite. The science is settled, all right, it doesn't work. Uh, and you're still fighting that. You're still fighting, uh, you know, to, to regain the, uh, the exposure you had before you, before you were deplatformed for everything you said in the last couple of years. Um, I don't know that fighting is the word. I, I've... Uh... I've come to uh, kind of relax and recognize that this is just the way of the world. And and about 30, maybe even 40% of people are now woken up. I mean, not woke, but have awakened <laughs> what's been going on. And uh, I'll take that. I think that's a win. Yeah, you know, I suppose you're right. But, you know, you, what, what I love about what you do, Dr. Malone, um, is that you, you, while you may have relaxed a little bit about this, you're still fighting insofar as yesterday, 6.47 a.m., you got up early and shared the words of Senator Ron Johnson and tweeted, quote, sadly, we passed two milestones on VAERS, over 1 million ad- uh, adverse events, over 21,000 deaths, 30% of those occurred on day zero, one, or 2 following vaccination. When will federal agencies start being transparent with Americans? Why do they continue to ignore early treatment? You're putting that out there at 6 o'clock in the morning. You're still fighting. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's, this is, uh, we've settled into um, a long-term battle now. Uh, and we have to pace ourselves and recognize what it is. At least that's my attitude and not allow the kind of the daily grind to get to us too much. It's hard not to. Uh, it's really uh, demoralizing, you know, watching America um, slide down into totalitarianism and authoritarianism under the Biden administration. Uh, and, and I hope that we reverse it in the next election. But um, meanwhile, back at the ranch, folks like you and me have to just Stand our ground, be persistent, and uh, in, in, I'm sure as with many of your listeners, don't comply with the illegal mandate. Yeah, well, that's that goes without saying. And uh, do not comply is going to be a, a rallying cry for, for millions of people, I think, this time around. But then again, we still have uh, the people who are holding fast to the safe and effective lie that was put forth by, quite frankly, you know, you mentioned the mandates under Biden. But all of this was started under the Trump administration the last year of his term. He and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and everyone else and the CDC all, you know, trumpeted the safe and effective line. And, um, and, and, 
let's go to Vares since I just read that quote that you tweeted from Ron Johnson. And let's let me ask you about Vares because it would indicate that safe and effective is not accurate. Um, First, for those who don't know, VAERS is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. And Dr. Malone, it used to be considered um, you know, acceptable and, and, and a real true look at the efficacy and the safety of vaccines. It's, it's a, a site run by the CDC. And suddenly in the age of COVID, the VAERS system is maligned as being unreliable and, uh, and, and, and filled with misinformation. Why? I think that's pretty clear. Uh, the signals from very early on, uh, including all the way back to when Steve Kirsch and Brett Weinstein and I spoke on the Dark Horse podcast so long ago, and we thought that was a huge audience at over a million. Uh, Kirsch pulled out the Bears reports at the time that showed this huge spike in adverse events and deaths, uh, and it's only gotten worse since. Uh, and I think that it's been necessary in order to defend the narrative to uh, um, push this uh, belief system, this logic, this uh, storyline that bears is not reliable. Now, the truth is, it's always been known that bears has problems. And the Be Safe program was meant to address some of those, but it's not perfect either. And ironically, the Be Safe system that CDC stood up has also shown these uh, high numbers of adverse events and deaths. And uh, they've recently shut that down with no explanation, basically. But VAERS, you know, VAERS was always intended to be an early warning system. And it was supposed to stimulate a, uh, a an investigation response on the CDC when you got these types of signals. But instead, their reaction has been uh, to try to uh, um, put out the message that the data coming through bears are irrelevant, uh, not reliable, etc. They they basically tried to delegitimize their own system uh, because the information that was coming through it was inconvenient. Uh, this is this is classic bureaucratic behavior. You know when when you're having something some information comes through that you don't like, attack the messenger rather than deal with the information. Dr. Malone, what regarding those numbers that uh, Ron Johnson cited and uh, you, you retweeted or, or tweeted the, the quote from, um, how accurate or how, how far off do you think they might be, the listing of 100, well, excuse me, 1 million adverse events, 21,000 deaths, 30, 30% in the first two days after vaccination? So um, that's, there's a lot of variability in the estimation of underreporting. There's no question, and it's been long known, that bears underreport adverse events and deaths associated with a vaccine administration or an inoculation. And there's various ways to calculate it. It's kind of technical. But the estimates run from an underreporting of up to 90% so that what you're getting is something in the range of 1% to 10% of the true signal up to uh, about 30% of the true signal. So the underreporting is something like 70%. Uh, So you can can run the numbers, but depending on 
where where things fall in that range, uh, you know, you can you can probably uh, multiply those numbers uh, conservatively by you know something in the range of ten uh, to a hundred. Wow. Um, we are talking with uh, Dr. Robert Malone. If you just turn on the radio, Dr. Malone is the co-patent holder for the RNA technology that led to the mRNA, quote-unquote, vaccines. By the way, what does that say, Dr. Malone, about the efficacy of a vaccine when they literally then changed the definition on the CDC website of the word vaccine because it does not provide immunization from infection? Yeah, that's so well well noted, you know, duly noted, uh, and I'm glad you pulled that out. What we've seen all the way through this uh, COVID crisis over the last three plus years is a variety of different types of redefinition and weaponization of words. And this is all part of the propaganda campaign. It's classic uh, propaganda strategies. Once again, where you have information and truths that are inconvenient, uh, you redefine the language around them. And this makes it very hard for people to uh, really grapple with what is truth, what is reality, uh, um, and, and enables this strategy of weaponization of language in order to manipulate people's perception. This is a, a, a group of technologies uh, that are that have been deployed largely by the intelligence community as well as the Department of Defense, but also CDC and HHS have deployed a, a variety of psychological operations approaches, including this manipulation of language, uh, to things that were designed and developed and capabilities that were developed, uh, starting with the... Uh, um, U.S. government response to ISIS or Daesh, uh, and they built all this infrastructure and capability. Of course, they've been doing a lot of this stuff uh, for decades, uh, referencing Operation Mockingbird. But uh, they they basically, out of frustration, turned the infrastructure that that was built under Obama to uh, respond to the threat of ISIS and Daesh, the same organization, different words, uh, and turned it back on American citizens. And in parallel, the same thing was done in the UK, Canada, New Zealand, and Australia, the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance nation. So what, what you're giving us is one very clear example of this strategy of manipulating the meaning of language uh, in order to achieve a propaganda objective. Another great example is the definition of anti-vaxxer was changed. Uh, and in that one, they kind of stubbed their toe pretty bad because they defined anti-vaxxer as anybody, this is in Webster's, mm-hmm. anybody who is uh, not okay with mandates, with vaccine mandates, then you became an anti-vaxxer. But there's a lot of reasons to not like mandates, uh, not the least of which is personal freedom logic. Uh, but when they defined anti-vaxxers in that way, 
suddenly a plurality, if not a majority of Americans, were suddenly defined as anti-vaxxers. And it took the teeth out of the word. And then they had to come up with some other term that was even worse. And so then what they tried to do is link anti-vaxxer to anti-Semitic. There was a coordinated campaign to do that. Um, and it's just another example of the type of propaganda strategies that have been deployed over the last three years by our government. That is um, nothing short of remarkable. Um, anti-vaxxer, one would think that means you are against every vaccine and any vaccine. And I know there are some people who are, by the way, but but first of all, you're not anti-anything. You are questioning and you are asking, or it would appear to me, you are asking for the true uh, conversation and the science to be conducted here. Uh, science always yearns to be challenged. Science can't just be defined as being settled because uh, enough people say that, so. That's also been disallowed now. Uh-huh. Um, uh, we have this cult or church of scientism, uh, which for which that is an anathema. The the uh, YouTube censorship uh, terms and conditions now, and those of many others, including what the U.S. government has promoted uh, through the Department of Homeland Security and Mayorkas, basically defines misinformation and disinformation as things different from the official line from the U.S. government, CDC, or the World Health Organization. So uh, those organizations, and by the way, the U.N. and the World Economic Forum, have now defined themselves as the arbiters of truth and uh, scientific truth and all truth. And so if you disagree with these official organizations, globalist organizations or U.S. government organizations, you're defined as spreading Mis, dis, or malinformation. It's the whole thing is is a perversion. It's a perversion of truth. It's a perversion of integrity. And uh, somehow we've got to capture our country back and capture, recapture the meaning of truth. Doctor Robert Malone, um, I want you to go science on me here a little bit um, as it pertains to because we, we're not only looking back at the last three and a half years or three years or whatever, we're looking forward now at what they're trying to bring about. You, you, you've already seen a number of health institutions, hospitals, medical centers uh, starting the, the new masking mandates again. There are some schools that are doing this already on buses and other things. So it's coming back again. So I, I want to talk about what we know more, what, what more we know now about COVID than we did three years ago. And what more do we know about the RNA shots that they are pushing? Now, they're claiming that the new shots are different than the original shots because they've been optimized, for lack of a better word, to deal with the new sub-variant that they are pushing. Is all of this just just window dressing to restart this whole thing? Or are there differences in both the virus that we know about now and this proposed uh, vaccination for it? Okay, so the what you 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 loaded we can we can cover the next half an hour with that set of questions, um, uh, but I'll try to be brief. Uh, one of the most important things that we've learned over the last three years that we didn't know at the outset, but we kind of did, was that this is actually not a very lethal virus. Uh, it was kind of propagandized all of us as if this was a uh, 
an extinction boundary type of event that there would be a huge uh, loss of life. Um, you know, 3.5% was often bandied about and uh, early on, and that was an artifact of some statistical sampling uh, and other statisticians in modeling, other uh, biostatisticians and epidemiologists put the actual uh, case fatality rate for COVID at well below 1%. And by the way, that was also the initial opinion and, per- and uh, point of view of Mr. Trump. And there's a great video montage circulating right now that juxtaposes Mr. Trump saying that it was well less than 1% mortality and uh, the corporate media ridiculing him uh, as I've well as uh, well-known comedians yeah. uh, that, of course, were all being paid uh, by Pfizer and by the government. Uh, so one of the things we've big learned over the last three and a half years is that Mr. Trump was right in those early statements and corporate media and the whole propaganda machine was wrong. And they, they basically promoted a fear message, uh, a kind of truly an existential crisis message that a large number of us were all going to die. And we now know in our own experience uh, that's not true, except for, in some cases, the subset of people that are morbidly obese, have diabetes, and are on death's door, um, you know, in general, remember... But they were they were already included, were they not, in the original uh, um, uh, mortality rate? Weren't they already counting and, and accounting for yeah, those who had comorbidities? I, I try, I'm trying not to uh, convey the idea that this was nothing. Uh, um, you know, for those people that were at high risk, uh, they did have uh, risk. And, of course, that risk of death or severe hospitalization was made a lot worse by the government suppressing early treatment and using these uh, treatment protocols that were basically imported from China involving um, uh, really respiratory mismanagement on ventilators. They blew people's lungs out. And then that was compounded by Tony Fauci's mad rush to approve remdesivir when it was already well known that remdesivir was toxic to the kidneys. And Many of these uh, deaths, particularly earlier on, were were basically hospital-caused deaths or physician-caused deaths. The fancy word is iatrogenic uh, because of the mismanagement of patients by overventilation, too high a pressure, and the uh, indiscriminate use of remdesivir. Uh, so, so those are you know one of the big big lies I think that's been uncovered is all of the propaganda early on that was used to scare all of us uh, into compliance and submission with the other policies of lockdowns, mask wearing, et cetera, et cetera, because there was this huge uh, supposed threat of death, uh, particularly egregious what they did with the children and masking and shutting down the schools, stopping their education, all those things because the teachers' union was afraid uh, because of all the fear porn that was being pushed. 
But in fact, uh, children are never at risk. The mortality rate for children from this, uh, you know, across the board is a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of 1%. It's tiny. Um, and there was a big study done trying to identify childhood deaths from COVID. And what they came out with was that all the deaths that they could detect, this is about a year and a half ago, were actually not from COVID, but COVID, uh, they were infected with SARS-CoV-2, but were dying of other existing preconditions. Um, so this has been another one of the big lies all the way through this, is this over-reporting of death, uh, because there was a number of incentives put in place, not the least of which is that hospitals got a check uh, for basically every death that they could say we had a PCR signal detected in this person and uh, they died. And if that was the case, particularly if they got put on a respirator before they died, um, the hospital collected a check of about 50,000 bucks. And so no surprise, hospitals were racing to consider anybody that could get a PCR signal, even though that test was so highly flawed for the SARS-CoV-2 virus um, and, and passed away or were hospitalized, they, they were really incentivized to report all those, which is one of the reasons sure. why the U.S. has uh, reported one of the highest mortality rates in the world is be- not not really so much because of all the stupid mismanagement, although that's a component, but because the hospitals were incentivized to grossly over-report this. And again, well, not just not just grossly over-report, Dr. Malone, my apologies for the interruption, but we're up against our break here. But what you just said is so grotesque, I need to underscore it before the break. And that is they're incentivized financially uh, to, you know, report all of these as as uh, PCR, uh, you know, deaths, you know, COVID deaths. And they literally could make that decision by putting them on ventilators and remdesivir and things that were going to kill them. Uh, they literally were they were literally able to write their own checks by putting people who uh, you know who did not yep. necessarily need to go on ventilators and respirators and then who suffered terrible deaths as a result of it and then they got paid for it. That's the grotesque yep. part of this. Dr. Malone, we'll take a time out here. We have a news break. We'll come back in a few minutes. We've got so much more to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about the dangers of forced masking for seven to eight hours a day that they're about to start again. I want to ask you about the died suddenly athletes dropping like flies and what more we know three years on from the original covid uh, as we get set now for what appears to be pandemic 2.0 dr robert this hour of always right radio is brought to you by the floor king and keeping medicare simple.com you and i know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I 
have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, seven minutes, oops, eight minutes after 11 o'clock. On this Friday, the first morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2023, about three months ago, there was an international COVID summit, the third such summit. Dr. Robert Malone was there. I would like to, in particular, emphasize one of the key findings that ran all the way through the presentations, which is that, in fact, there are people who are vaccine injured. This is something that has been suppressed by um, all channels of, uh, forgive me, corporate media and governments, that there are these individuals who are, in fact, vaccine damaged, and they have not been allowed to speak. They have uh, had their experience suppressed, they have been uh, demeaned, they have been gaslit, and they are damaged. And uh, they are damaged in large part consequent to the uh, rush of this uh, product without adequate testing. Without adequate testing, typically vaccines need five to eight to ten years of human trials before they can be determined to be completely safe or not. We had nine months. Operation Warp Speed made that happen. Joining us now once again is Dr. Robert Malone to talk more about that. Dr. Malone, you are, I've seen the image that you have shared um, of your patent for the RNA technology, and yet, your critics dispute that you are the co-inventor of this tech. Why? Why do they not even want to acknowledge your role in the development of that? Well, that you're referring to that little uh, screenshot of the certificate that Vicel gave me with the $1 payment, yes. which is all I ever got for this. Um, but in fact, that's only one of nine issued patents. Uh, it it it. It kind of came to a head with the New York Times uh, reporter named Alba that actually interviewed me at my home. Uh, and it's since come out that she appears to be associated in some way with the CIA. You know, this is the New York Times has now become uh, activated uh, in the old Mockingbird sense when, with close ties to the American intelligence community. But uh, when she was interviewing my wife and I for the New York Times hit piece, she refused to even acknowledge, let alone look at the patent that we offered to show her. Uh, I think that what you have here is more evidence of this concerted propaganda campaign. And I'm just one example of many where uh, there has been a, a focused effort to delegitimize and gaslight people that were speaking inconvenient truths. And in my case, the history here uh, was truly inconvenient because it is what gave my words so much legitimacy at the time when very few people were willing to speak out, and those that were were easily uh, positioned as fringe. And uh, if, if the press acknowledged those patents, which they would not, uh, then um, they had a problem because it would clearly make me somebody who knows quite a bit about the tech. 
that was one thread. The other was that at that time, there was a real push in multiple media channels, presumably facilitated by Pfizer BioNTech and uh, UPenn, to uh, obtain the Nobel Prize for chemistry or medicine mm-hmm. for doctors Carrico and Weissman, uh, who were being pushed by the press as the in- inventors of this tech, this concept, and those that had uh, reduced it to practice. And that was all false. That was stolen valor. Uh, and there were multiple interviews in New York Times, CNN, and in particular, Stat News out of Boston that promoted this logic. And the press really got behind it uh, and were really pushing, even in, in journals like Nature, scientific journals, pushing uh, for the uh, Nobel Prize Committee, Committee to grant the award to Carrico and Weissman. And I, I had friends that had uh, served on the selection committee, and they told me that Rico and Weissman's contributions had already been evaluated and they didn't meet the criteria. In the end, nobody got the Nobel Prize for this invention, but Carrico and Weissman did pull in millions of dollars from the Lasker Award in the United States and analogous awards in uh, Israel and Spain. Uh, so they're, they're doing just fine, uh, you know, and, and the propaganda absolutely worked, uh, but it just didn't make it all the way to the big prize. Mm-hmm. Of course, if they had achieved that objective, then it would have really legitimized the technology, which is probably why uh, Pfizer and BioNTech seem to have been behind a lot of this push. UPenn um, uh, was behind it and pushing because it would have resulted in a lot more donations to them and prestige because they were the university where Carrico and Weissman did their work with pseudouridine, and they held the patent that has generated a lot of revenue for them that was licensed to BioNTech and to Moderna. Um, Dr. Malone, one more question on this. Your co-patent holder or the co-inventor, if you will, of this tech is Dr. Flegner, right? Philip uh, uh, Felgner, excuse me. His name is actually pronounced Felgner. Felgner, yeah. Um, Dr. F- there was a there was a uh, an interview that was done uh, asking Dr. Felgner why you've taken the stand that you've taken on this. I want you to hear this. Do you have any idea why he's like so soured on the technology? Oh, I I don't uh, I don't uh, have a, much of an explanation for that. It's mysterious to me too. So it had me wondering: Do you have any conversation or communication with Dr. Feldner since all of this went down? Have you had occasion to try to come to some meeting of the minds about why you feel the way you do, and he is still uh, in in the place he was? Well. Phil um, has long uh, tried to position himself as the lead on all this. Uh, frankly, he's been a thorn in my side ever since I was 28. Uh, I included him on the original paper out of assault because he had provided the reagents, and Inder Verma actually didn't want him named on that paper. Uh, Phil has done a great job of promoting himself and uh, talking me down all the way through his career. Uh, And it's important to remember that Phil is a pharmacologist. Uh, He he did the original catanic lipid work at Syntex under Gordon Ringgold, 
when he was trying to ask questions about the surface charge on cell membranes. And uh, this was all serendipity for him because a uh, rotation student that knew about transfection came into his lab at Syntex. He doesn't have a background in medicine or in toxicology. And, uh, um, you know, I wish him well. Uh, I, I really haven't, uh, you know, a lot of what happened in my career had to do with Bill uh, gaslighting and, and uh, doing sneaky stuff behind my back. But uh, that's water to the bridge. In this case, uh, Phil just doesn't have a background in medicine or toxicology and apparently hasn't had an opportunity or, or the inclination to actually investigate uh, what has transpired here in terms of the toxicities. And he absolutely does not have training and background in clinical research and regulatory affairs, which is you know, it's clinical research norms, regulatory affairs norms, and particularly bioethics, another thing that he's not trained in, that were breached here that caused me to start speaking out, particularly the bioethics of uh, forcing these products onto people uh, without adequate informed consent. And whatever Phil may have to say about this, that, or the other thing, um, he apparently... Uh, doesn't recognize that what took place here is grossly unethical and a major breach of well-established international norms for clinical research. Dr. Malone, we're talking with Dr. Robert Malone, if you just turned it on. Uh, you've missed a lot already. I've got enough questions here for 12 more hours. Unfortunately, we've got like 12 more minutes, so um, I'm going to okay. have to be very selective here. Well, um, we'll have to do it again sometime. We definitely will. In fact, I've got a long-form TV show that we're going to be doing sh- soon that I would love to have you on where we could do maybe two, three hours if you're up for it. But, um, oh, that, let, that's let's, fascinating. Let's go here because you mentioned the ventilators. You mentioned remdesivir. What we were told over the last two plus years uh, of, of about treatment, early treatment or post uh, COVID treatment, uh, about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine was that those were the ones that would kill you. Ivermectin is that horse dewormer, you idiot. What's wrong with you? Why would you take a horse medicine to treat this? We were told that was dangerous. It was not allowed to be prescribed off label or any label any other way. Meanwhile, remdesivir and ventilators were actually killing people. Now that we're approaching, as I said, pandemic 2.0, um, is it better understood now that, that these treatments, if, if people do get the new variant or subvariant of COVID, that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are okay? So there's abundance of data about those and many other agents for early treatment, uh, not the least of which is the combination I championed, which was famotidine and celecoxin, uh, a, uh, anti-inflammatory, uh, um, a, and a uh, basically an antihistamine. Uh, I take famotidine for uh, for acid reflux. I take that precisely and yeah. and at higher doses through the same mechanism of action, um, it can suppress the uh, early um, phase of the toxicity associated with this virus. Um, uh, um, and and uh, that has to do with degranulation of mast cells. I wrote the definitive paper about this very early in the outbreak. But getting back to ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, uh, a legal case uh, um, involving Mary 
Bowden, among others, as I recall, has forced the FDA into a position where their lawyers have acknowledged that the FDA had no right to uh, put out the propaganda that it did. Uh, it has no right to regulate the uh, um, practice of, of administering off-label drugs, which is the case with uh, um, ivermectin and hydroxy. Uh, the data on hydroxychloroquine being effective against coronaviruses, including SARS-1, uh, as I recall, was published long ago by Ralph Barrick, no one other than Ralph Barrick. So the role of hydroxychloroquine, particularly in the presence of zinc, uh, was in the literature before all of this happened. Um, actually, while we've been talking, I've had Peter Navarro call me twice. Um, and you'll recall he was tasked by Trump to secure enough hydroxychloroquine for the population of the United States. So the, the data on the effectiveness of both of these agents, as well as many other early treatment protocols, have advanced quite nicely over the last three years. And uh, many people, including myself, uh, have found uh, a benefit uh, with these agents, particularly in combination with uh, anti-inflammatories and certain steroids, etc. So these early treatment protocols are really quite effective. Uh, and um, the key there is don't let yourself get so sick in the second phase of the disease, the later phase that, that um, often occurs, that you have respiratory compromise and you're forced into the hospital. If you catch it early, um, then it becomes uh, basically a mild uh, contained infection, uh, particularly if you get the right treatment. problem with that is most docs are so propagandized that right. they don't, they're not willing to provide those early treatments, and so you have to find physicians, and you might as well find them now, that are not caught up in this false narrative that's been promoted. Uh, and the FDA is now backed off of their position about ivermectin, uh, as I said, and has acknowledged that physicians have the right to administer. In a number of states, I think Tennessee notably, uh, ivermectin, is uh, now marketed basically over-the-counter. Uh, I helped uh, with testimony to promote that. And in the state of Texas, uh, as well as in Florida, but particularly Texas, uh, there there has been a big pushback. I've testified twice there. And uh, the government in the state of Texas has really come down on the pharmacists who would not fill physician prescriptions for these agents uh, and the um, Pharmacist Association in the state of Texas has promised that they will never do anything like this again. So there has been a backlash. There absolutely is early treatment. And all of this fear around these new variants uh, doesn't really match up with the clinical data about the risks associated with them. You'll notice that uh, when promoting all this fear, uh, they're very selective in what they talk about. They talk about the infectivity, but they don't talk about whether or not these actually represent a greater health threat, and they don't. Dr. Malone, um, 
again, I've got to be very selective here, so I, I want to pivot. This will be a hard pivot away from the, the, the drugs to this question. And I don't know if you can answer it in four minutes. If not, we'll, we'll do our best here. Tell us what mass formation psychosis is and how it applies to the global, or I guess we could just say our national response to COVID. Uh, so this was a term, and the, the, whole, the reason why I used the phrase mass formation psychosis is that was the cited term with some of the very early podcasts from the, Dr. Matthias Desmet of Belgium. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Matthias, whose native language is uh, Dutch and German, uh, actually prefers the term uh, mass formation. It's a technical term that goes back through history to Hannah Arndt, all the way back to Sigmund Freud. And in parallel, other uh, mental health professionals use the term mass psychosis. Uh, and um, even Robert McNamara used that term in relationship to the craziness that swept through the United States under the promoted fear of the Soviets dropping the bomb. Remember when everybody was doing duck and cover drills in grade school and building bomb shelters and all that. Uh, So this term, whether it's mass formation, mass psychosis, or mass formation psychosis, uh, relates to uh, well-documented, you know, historically well-known phenomena that uh, groups of people under the influence particularly of of promoted fear uh, will um, form uh, groups or a mass that will um, uh, come to believe a, we can call it a narrative that's false and act on that in ways that are uh, bizarre and dysfunctional and often quite violent. Uh, so a number of examples exist about this, and I was criticized for using the very obvious example of what happened to the German people during the 20s, 30s, and 40s under the Nazi regime, in which this type of uh, fear and psychology was actively promoted and weaponized to control people. Uh, but what will happen is is functionally a form of hypnosis, where uh the fraction of the population that are susceptible to hypnosis when subjected to this chronic fear, which basically shuts down your uh, thinking part of your brain, uh, is, is propagated and weaponized. And then uh, they're directed towards a, a leader or a solution or a philosophy it's often promoted as the way to address their common fear, the thing that is driving them crazy. And in the case of Matthias Desmet's hypotheses about mass formation, that in his book um, uh, that focuses on this, it's in, available in English, you can get it on Amazon, uh, he points out that there's a number of preconditions that make it much easier for people to be manipulated in this way and and form this kind of crazy hypnosis, uh, group hypnosis. And those have to do with things like depersonalization, uh, developing free-floating anxiety, um, becoming disconnected from groups and society in general. A number of conditions, he mentions bullshit jobs, meaningless work, 
a number of conditions that absolutely existed before the COVID crisis took off, many of which are, are basically driven by a lot of modern technology and the focus on our cell phones and on uh, living in an alternative game-based reality uh, and all of the things that have fragmented us. And consistent with the hypothesis is that Dr. Dr. Malone, let me jump in there. Um, I was looking for the proper time to interrupt you, which was no time, but because this is equally fascinating and uh, terrifying, quite frankly, mass formation psychosis. But I am up against a hard break. I am very reluctant to ask you for a few more minutes of your time after our bottom of the hour break, and I will understand if you don't have it. But could you stick around for another uh, two, three, four, five minutes on the other side? Yeah, sure. I just have a hit at noon. Okay, good. We will we will be done with you at around 11.40 or so, if that works for you. I have a couple more quick ones we'll squeeze in here. And Dr. Robert Malone, I thank you so much for that uh, courtesy. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Think twice about giving these jabs to your kids. Among other things, your, your girls are born with all the eggs they will ever have. And these lipids are going to the ovaries, and they appear to be affecting menstruation in some way. That's just one of the uh, remarks by Dr. Robert Malone on the Joe Rogan podcast about a year ago that got him deplatformed from Twitter and from uh, uh, from YouTube and more. But he is still speaking out uh, in defense of people's personal health liberty. Dr. Malone, I've got two more for you before we go. Um, the first one is going to be about medicine. The second one is going to be about agenda. Um, I have heard, we have seen an extraordinarily uh, large number of young people, particularly who would seem to be in the prime of their lives and of peak health, suffering from myocarditis and other heart ailments. The, and uh, many of us who are uh, very, very opposed to mandating these, uh, these, these poison darts, as I call them, because of that, we say that this is happening because of the shots. But the other side is saying since the shot does not prevent people from getting COVID, which, of course, is why it's not a vaccine, that all there are far more heart ailments that are being caused by COVID than there are by the shots. How do we differentiate? Actually, that's not what the data show. Um, and, uh, for instance, uh, if we look at all-cause mortality, mm-hmm. which is one of the most uh, comprehensive indicators of, of this uh, sudden death as well as disability, uh, phenomena that we're seeing, um, those numbers on all-cause mortality did not rise during 2020 before we had the jab. Uh, they, When we had even more severe variants of SARS-CoV-2 circulating, we didn't see this uh, wave of uh, sudden death, uh, myocarditis, and uh elevated all-cause mortality during 2020, despite the fact we had lockdowns and everything else, uh, it didn't happen. It only happened after the start of the deployment of these uh, injection products. And uh, um, the furthermore, we have, we not only have the epidemiologic data to support this, and there's data, for instance, from the Netherlands that show a temporal relationship upon revaccination, and really from all over the world, we're seeing that evidence. 
But we also biologically have a plausible evidence of this association. Um, one of the medical facts is that uh, the release of enzymes from the heart that are diagnostic of direct damage to heart muscle uh, is the, they are typically elevated uh, in about half of all vaccine recipients within a few days of administration. Uh, so you have you have the science data, the hardcore cell biology that, for instance, these products, as well as the spike protein that they encode, have a direct cardiotoxicity. Uh, we have this myocardial damage data. Uh, we have multiple epidemiologic studies that demonstrate a very high association and a high incidence of uh, these uh, clinical myocarditis in uh, particularly young males, but also young people in general. Uh, we have these many reports, as you point out, of sudden death in otherwise healthy athletes and, uh, for instance, Navy SEALs, etc. Right. Uh, and um, uh, uh, then, then we, you know, we're now to the point where Mr. Paul Offit, Dr. Paul Offit, one of the great advocates for these vaccines uh, that's been involved in all of the various committee hearings at FDA and, and CDC, uh, acknowledging publicly that there is a causal link between myocarditis and the administration of these products. He's still not acknowledging the data about the elevated cardiac enzymes, and he's postulating an outdated theory having to do with autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, he is clearly and firmly acknowledging this, as the CDC has uh, from very early on, as well as the FDA. The thing that has been done, this is more of the PSYOPs propaganda, is that claims have been made without evidence that this myocarditis is mild and self-limited. But uh, they didn't have the data to make those statements. And what we're now seeing is that the for clinical myocarditis, uh, so this is not, you know, not everybody gets this, not even half of people get this, but for the, those that do develop clinical myocarditis that takes them to the doctor or to the hospital, the five-year mortality from clinical myocarditis, viral myocarditis, is quite high. Uh, it's something in the 10% range. Some people think higher. And unfortunately, this clinical myocarditis associated with these products is tracking at a similar uh, mortality rate to classical viral myocarditis. So okay. it, is, it is worrisome. It is absolutely present. Okay. It's absolutely worse in young adults and children. It's absolutely worse in males. Uh, it is absolutely striking athletes and warfighters. And uh, th this, again, is there's been a concerted effort to deny the truth about this risk. 
Dr. Malone, uh, we've got less than two minutes left. This is just going to be your brief uh, thumbnail answer to this question. You know, President Trump was responsible for Operation Warp Speed. President Biden made it mandatory for millions and millions of Americans. But that's just the American side. My last question for you is, how much influence does the World Health Organization have on American policy vis-a-vis COVID? Uh, I think that the better way to think about this is how much influence does American uh, infrastructure and the intelligence community have on the World Health Organization? Hmm. Uh, The other major factor driving WHO is the fact that WHO is very dependent on donations. One of their larger donors is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And uh, hidden is that um, they receive considerable donations, uh, quote-unquote, often associated with a quid pro quo arrangement of both full-time employees and money from pharmaceutical companies. So the WHO uh, is not the independent arbiter of truth and, and integrity in medicine, but rather is a captured agency, much like FDA and CDC have demonstrated. Uh, and, um, uh, I would say more like there's been a close coordination and cooperation between American HHS and the intelligence community with the World Health Organization. Dr. Robert Malone, thank you so very much. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on and even working a little bit of overtime for us here. What you are doing is so extraordinarily important. You and some of the other frontline doctors, Dr. McCullough, Dr. Jensen, and, uh, and, and so many others. Thank you for what you're doing. I look forward to following up with you again sometime very soon. Thank you, sir, and I hope you have a great day. And you as well. Thank you. Dr. Robert W. Malone, he is doing... Listen, I I said this a little bit yesterday and maybe even a little bit this morning before he came on. If you are looking for a tiebreaker in terms of whom you believe,